Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, uh, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here. Uh, we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. If you will be open your Bibles to John, the first chapter. Uh, we'll actually look at one passage closer to the end of John, but be getting to John, and, and we'll be looking at, at that passage primarily out of the first chapter uh, tonight. We will have slides if, if you want to uh, study from those. Uh, it is truly been a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Uh, we had a wonderful elders, deacons, ministers retreat Friday evening and Saturday here. Uh, John Michael put in a lot of work in planning that and executing that, and we appreciate his leadership in that. It was good to be with our new deacons and our new elders, and uh, it, was, it was good to see our new team uh, that we're all working together. Uh, the unity is beautiful. The vision is good. We're looking forward to this year, to 2016. I think it was one of those things that as we continue to, to have the weekend unfold, it, it kind of dawned on us that, hey, this looks like this could probably be one of the best years we've had maybe ever, maybe in a long, long time. Uh, a lot of good plans uh, have been made and are continuing to be made. Let me tell you about a, a great plan that's taking place in just a few minutes. The widows and widowers are invited to the fellowship hall immediately following services tonight and the melting pot class. Uh, each year during the holiday season, they try to do something special that usually is wonderful. And you know that, you've been a part of it. If, and, uh, and so they want to uh, offer you dessert and coffee and they've got a little program uh, that they think will be a, a lot of fun that they want you to, to enjoy. And they just want to show you that they love you. And so it's, it's very informal. And if you're a widow or widower, be sure and enjoy that immediately following uh, the services tonight. Also, if you were here a little bit early, you probably noticed that a lot of young people were here earlier. We are thankful that our young ladies and young soldiers serving Christ was off to a tremendous start uh, this evening, and it'll continue to take place for the next several Sundays. If by chance you have uh, children and you don't know about that, ask around. Right now is a really good time to get involved in that, and your children will benefit immensely uh, from that. Also, uh, I mentioned a couple of Wednesday nights ago that on Amazon best-selling list that eight of the 20 best-selling books were adult coloring books. And that just created a lot of talk. A lot of you have mentioned that to me and a lot of you have been like, I love doing that or I got one for Christmas or I tried to do it for relaxation and it tensed me up so much I couldn't do it. So for those of you that said, several of you said that, several of you said it just stresses me too much. Uh, I have sent to me, not a whole book, but one coloring sheet that we can print this off if you need it and uh, this is one for everybody that wants low. Um, isn't that brilliant right there? Uh, you can color that one really quick, really quick. So for all of you that think it's stretchy, I just thought I'd share that. I, I received that this afternoon. I got a kick out of that. Hey, but on to something that all of us can participate in and, and should, at least to some degree. You know, we, we all, uh, it's, it's what we have the ability to do. God's given us any and everything that we have. And so what we have the ability to give back, uh, Griff made an announcement this morning on behalf of the elders that our first John fund that has helped so many through the years, uh, we need to replenish that fund. And, and we do a lot of good in the community. We give every week. That's not an exaggeration. We give 
every week to people in the community. Uh, but sometimes some of our own members, because of unforeseen things, come up in their life where they need substantial help. And this fund is put in place to help our brothers and sisters right here at Mount Juliet. And there's been a lot of good that's taken place with this. I want to remind you why this fund is named the First John Fund, and I hope you'll bear with me because we'll mention this again next Sunday morning. But I think all of us need to be reminded of why it is named this. Uh, it's because of, of it's, it's the will of God that we do this. Let's read 1 John 3, 16, 17, 18, and 19. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. For we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whosoever has this world's goods, do you have any goods? And sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Not this coming Sunday, but the next Sunday, we will have the opportunity as the plate will be passed a second time to share with our brothers and sisters that maybe today they don't have a need, but in the coming months, when needs arise, that will be available for them. And it's one way that we strive to fulfill this teaching. Now, there's other ways we can do it, but this is one significant way that we strive to do that. So I hope you'll be thinking and praying and moving money around however you need to move it around so that two weeks from now, uh, you can give as you believe that you should be giving in that. Also, on a much... Um, Maybe simpler and smaller scale, uh, but yet very important. If we all jump in, it'll be very significant. It's already been mentioned tonight, but keep in mind the Sudan project is collecting uh, over-the-counter drugs that makes all the difference in their life in South Sudan. It's already been mentioned. These are things that we can go down the street and we can buy all we need of these and they can't buy them at all. And so it is a wonderful way that if we just make a mental note of it, take a little extra time and spend just a little money, we can make a huge impact on that. And so if you haven't done that, several of you have done it. You can walk through the classrooms and see it. But if you're like, oh, I keep forgetting that, make whatever note you gotta make to not forget that. And uh, we would encourage from the youngest up to be a part of this. Uh, it would really be great. Also, I know we asked this this morning, but if you will in, indulge us in this, because there may be somebody sitting on the pew that wasn't here this morning. If you're on the end of a pew, if you will, take the calendars, uh, their long strips, be folded up into <laughs> pocket size, come right out of the pocket, the pocket size calendar, and uh, pass those down and it's been really neat the last few years talking to you throughout the year and someone say, when is that date? And you see someone reaching their wallet or you see them reaching their purse and you know, it's June and they're pulling out their calendar that they've been carrying all year. And uh, whatever you've got to do to sync this with your day-to-day -day schedule, uh, the dates that are in blue are dates that we feel like pretty much apply to everybody. But then you'll see a lot of other dates that are specific. Perhaps some of them will be to you. We want to especially note that on August 14th is our 125th anniversary as a congregation. Uh, the plans are being made that it should just naturally, it's not that 
honestly, I, we can say this. We didn't plan for this to be the biggest day we've ever had in the history of our congregation, but just as we planned the things that's going to take place, just kind of stopped and came to the realization, wow, this is going to be the biggest day the Mount Juliet congregation has ever experienced so far as just a Sunday right here at home. Uh, I'm telling you that, say, please sync that up with your personal calendar. Don't do something goofy and get around to June and say, oh, if I would have known it was then, we wouldn't have taken that weekend trip. You're going to regret if you do that. I'm just telling you, this is going to be wonderful. It's going to be a tremendous weekend for our church family. The truth is, we will start some things, not for everybody, but for different ones in the congregation, probably the Monday or Tuesday before that Sunday. There will be things pertaining to uh, our, our homecoming probably on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. There'll be things pertaining to everybody on Saturday and everybody on Sunday. Uh, just neat, neat plans are being made to God be the glory and all the ways he's blessed us over the past 125 years of congregation. And that's what we want to capitalize upon. So be sure and mark that on your calendar and uh, be sure you're in town for that. April 24th is going to be family day and family time this year. And we'll say a lot more about that later, but that's another one. Uh, that you probably won't want to miss. This should be a really great time together and a great period of worship, but also great activities from that. Jeff Schott was a sophomore back in 2013 in Spring Hill, Tennessee at Summit High School, and he won a $1,000 scholarship. Sounds good, right? Well, he won the $1,000 scholarship from the Freedom from Religion Foundation. You see, he was in a class where a part of the class was that you were supposed to dress up for a school day in a fictional character costume. And so he chose to come to school that day as Jesus Christ. He wore a costume that he thought would look like Jesus Christ. He carried a hammer and nails, and, and he came to school as a fictional character. And this atheistic group loved it, so much so that when they heard about it, they awarded him a scholarship for such a courageous act. What do you believe about Jesus? It really, really matters what we believe about Jesus. We studied last week about God being our creator. And understanding that puts some very important things in perspective. Because we start to learn about our origin, but we also start to learn about how powerful he is and how if he is our creator, how we ought to be submissive to him. But then the more we learn about him, the more we learn that our creator is loving. Our creator wants us to be close to him and wants us to spend an eternity with him. And so, so much becomes revealed to us about our creator. But as we think about this, you remember last week we noted the fact that in Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, and in verse four, we read the words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, that's like the personal name, if you will, for God, Yahweh, uh, that the Hebrew, the Jews would have used. The Lord, our God, that is a very, uh, I don't mean this disrespectful, but 
Elohim is a generic term for God. And so the Lord, and it could even be, uh, it's a plural. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And so what we see in this at first glance could be like, are we, is he trying to confuse us here? Why, why does he use a word that refers to God as in the, the, the plural sense? But then why does he use this personal name, Yahweh? And then why does he come back as if, let me say something very, very definite. The Lord, our God, he's one. This is one of the many references in scripture to the Trinity. Now the challenge with this is there's nowhere in the scripture where you can read a paragraph where it seems that the purpose of that paragraph is to say, let me help you understand Trinity. One God, but three in a Godhead. And so because of that, it can be kind of confusing. Even the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. What we see in the first century, the New Testament, is we see that they seem to experience the Trinity more than it was actually specifically taught, if you will, for clarity's sake. And so it's really what we, more, what we have the opportunity to read that they experience that really helps us understand the Trinity, if you will. For example, when you think about Jesus being baptized, I don't know that I can look at that, the paragraphs, that's recorded several times. I don't know if I can look at the paragraphs that record that and say, look, look, the purpose of that is to show us Trinity. But yet at the same time, I have to believe that a part of the reason that that is revealed to us and the way it is, is to show us the Trinity of the Godhead. For example, when we read, and this is just uh, one account, look in Matthew, in, in Matthew the third chapter, in verse 16, when he had been baptized, that's Jesus being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and a lightning upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine being John, the, the one who baptized him at that moment? Can you imagine having Jesus and, and you immerse him under water and, and he comes up out of the water and, and pretty much immediately you're, you're looking at God the Son and then you see the heavens rip open and you see a, the Spirit in the form, the manifestation, the spirit's not a dove, but in the manifestation, like a dove came and lit upon him. And then while you're, you've just baptized Jesus, you're seeing the spirit come down in this form of a dove and you hear the voice of the father give a mark of identity. Who is this? This is my beloved son. See, we're getting a picture here of Trinity. And then an evaluation in whom I am well pleased. 
First Corinthians second chapter tells us, verse 10, 11, and 12, and really back up a little bit earlier and even later, similar te <clears throat> teachings, that we can know the spirit of man because we're man. But we can't know the spirit of God unless, uh, or we cannot know God unless it's revealed to us. And the spirit of God searches the depths of God and reveals that to us. How much do you and I know about the Trinity? Well, we can study scripture and we can learn quite a bit. But we cannot learn everything that there is to know about the Trinity. The reason I'm telling you that is because if you're discouraged, sitting there thinking, there's a lot that I don't know about the Trinity of Godhead, there will always be a lot that you don't know. The only parts we can know is what has been revealed to us. You and I are human. We're trying to understand God who is not fleshly. We're trying to understand God who is spirit. You and I live in the confines of time and limited knowledge. God lives outside of time in eternity and he abounds with endless knowledge. And so it's pretty arrogant for you and I to think, well, I want to understand everything about God. You and I do not have the capability where we are today in the bounds of time, in the bounds of limited knowledge. We do not have the ability to understand everything about God. Now keep in mind, even when we go to heaven, will we still know everything about God? I assume we're going to know a lot more about God, but just because we go to heaven doesn't make us God. We're not going to turn into little gods because we're in heaven. And so I assume that there will still be a lot about God that we don't fully and completely understand because you and I will never be God. And God's greatness, and this is what I hope you know already, but I hope we can accomplish this year in study. God's greatness is so great that it makes us look really small. And the fact that he would look down upon us and love us and take care of us and care for us is a beautiful, humbling thing. So what can we learn about God? I don't know if this is a good illustration, but I, I just thought of this the other day. I saw this article. It's about a fella named Paul Bailey, not Paula, but Paul Bailey. And... Um, Paul Bailey is from Britain, and, and he was the first supercar enthusiast in Britain to own what is considered the trinity of supercars this past 2015. You see, there was a McLaren P1, a Ferrari La Ferrari, and a Porsche 918 Spider that all have been released in limited numbers and they are the rare of supercars, the rarity of supercars and the super expensive ones. All three of them are hybrids. They have the capability of getting up over 94 miles per gallon. All three of them can go zero to 62 miles an hour in three seconds. All three of them can go over 200 miles an hour each. All of them together cost him just a little bit over $4.3 million. Needless to say, that's why they call it the trinity of supercars. Okay, so is it really a trinity the way we think about God being trinity? 
Okay, well, wow, this is a supercar. Oh, wow, this is a supercar. Wow, this is, I tell you what, they all just happen to be supercars. Let's bring them under one umbrella and just call them a trinity. Well, you can do that with supercars. But you understand, that's not our Godhead. One God is not, well, there just happened to be God the Father that was just this super God. And, and he happened one day to meet God the Son that was another super God. And they happened to meet one day God the Spirit who was another super God. And they said, you know what? We're all three super gods. Why don't we just partner together and why don't we be super gods together? No. They are one God. But they... The one God is made up of three. Now, let me clarify this. And I'm, I'm not using this on my own. This has been used a lot through the years, but I think we need to use it with clarity. Three persons in the Godhead. And see, that word fails us. Because when we think of persons, we think of flesh, created. That word is used more like three personalities. There's three personalities in the Godhead. There's the Father, there's the Son, there's the Spirit. On this next slide, you'll see an example. Oh, maybe we need to go back one. Okay, I didn't realize we were there. I'm, I'm flying blind back here. Um, the, um, this, this diagram, in some shape, form, or fashion, has been used. I, I'm just going to pull a number. It may have been more than 100 years. Uh, this diagram has been used for a long time and you see that the three points of the triangle the father the son the spirit and you see the outside boundaries of the triangle the fact that the father is not the son the son's not the spirit the spirit's not the father and you can reverse it too the father's not the spirit the spirit's not the son the son's not the the father uh, in other words, three individual personalities but now work from the points back inside the father is God the Son is God. The Spirit is God. And if we want to talk about one God of Israel, if we want to talk about the one God of Christianity, we must understand that it is all three persons of the Godhead. Our one God, hear O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And he uses the plural word Elohim for God, but then says Yahweh is one. And so that's why passages will use a plural word for God because there's plurality of persons, but it is one God. So as we think about Jesus, what is Jesus to us? I hesitated to use this because I would feel like that every one of us here have read something like this, probably on an email, no less than a hundred times. But yet, as I continued, I, I just couldn't get away from it because I think it's good for us to be reminded when we think tonight and probably again um, next Sunday night about Jesus and Jesus we, we won't get deeply into this tonight, but we'll finish up this lesson next Sunday night. And what I want you to see is we're talking about the creator this month. I want you to see that not only out of the old covenant do we see that God is the creator, but it becomes very clear in the new covenant that a part of the Godhead is Jesus 
as the creator. Now we'll even learn also that the spirit is part of the creator also. But let me just mention this as we think about Jesus Christ. And, and I hope this, I hope you don't sit there and say, well, I, I've already heard this. Uh, but, but hopefully this will just get our mind churning. Who is this Jesus Christ? He was born about 2,000 years ago as a man on earth, contrary to the laws of nature. A man who lived in poverty and was reared in obscurity. He didn't travel extensively. He only crossed the boundary of his country a few times. He possessed neither wealth nor influence. He had neither training that was formal in education. And yet, as an infant, he startled a king and in childhood, he puzzled educated men. And as a man, he ruled the course of nature. He walked upon the pillows of waves as if it were pavement. And he hushed the sea to sleep. He healed the multitudes without medicine. He never wrote a book, and yet all the libraries contain books about him. He never wrote a song, and yet he's furnished a theme for more songs than all the songwriters combined. He never founded a college, but all the schools put together cannot boast of having as many students as he has had. He never practiced medicine, yet he has healed more people than all the doctors combined. Every seventh day of the week around the world, people cease what they do to come together to worship him, to respect him, to give reverence to him to learn of him. The names of past proud statements of Greece, statesmen of Greece and Rome have come and gone. The names of scientists, philosophers, theologians have come and gone. But the name of this man abounds more and more. 2,000 years later, the scene of his crucifixion, and yet he still lives. Herod could not destroy him. The grave could not hold him. He stands in heavenly glory, proclaims God. He is God. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He's a marvel. The very fact of incarnation, to watch God live on earth, was a wondrous event, filled with wonders all throughout his life. To miss him is to miss everything important about living. To miss him is to miss everything important about living. So if you will, look in John, the 20th chapter, in verse 30. I want to remind you of why John wrote this, and I want us to then look back and spend just a few minutes, and like I say, we'll finish this next week, but you'll see where this is going, and next week you'll just have to remember this introduction, okay? And John, the 20th chapter, look in verse 30. And truly, remember that we've got the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they were written in very similar synoptic Gospels. But then you have this one that stands out alone, and, and you have... Uh, John, and it's written much later than the others. And, and you say, well, why was this one written? And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, 
Okay, so why is this gospel of John written? You need to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John says, let me write a gospel and everything I'm gonna put in this gospel is to accomplish two things. I want you to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I want you to know it with such conviction that you will believe it and your life will be saved. That's a high calling for a writing. But that's why John was written. So with that kind of pressure, if you will, and I know it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, so I don't mean that disrespectful. But with that kind of pressure being placed on this writing, how do you think it's going to begin? If you said, that's the way I want to write a book. I want to write a book that everything in it accomplishes these two things. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and believing you can have life in his name. Look back at John 1 and 1. First three words. They sound familiar? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Do you think that it's a coincidence that the first three words of John are the same exact first three words of Genesis? Because when you read on the next two or three verses, what you find out is that everything that was made was made by Jesus. You see, the emphasis of the first paragraph is Jesus is the creator. Now, if you wanted to emphasize that, what would be, what would be a very intellectually clever way to emphasize that? Well, let's go back and let's quote the first three words of the story we have of creation. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning was the word. And so... John writes a gospel to say, I want you to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I want you to believe it so much that you submit your life and you'd be saved through his name. So John, where are you going to start? He says, I'm going to start by trying to help you see and believe that Jesus is the creator. He is your creator. He is worthy of your submission. He's worthy of your love. He's worthy of your obedience. He's worthy of your life. And what a beautiful, beautiful fact that is. Look at the rest there of John 1 and 1 as we look at this next slide. And in the beginning was the word. Now that's another very unusual way to describe Jesus. If the book is written to convince people that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, wouldn't it be a good idea to call him Jesus Christ? Like, wait a minute, are, are we going to confuse things here? John, why, why did you start out calling him by a descriptive word instead of a usual name? Well, what descriptive word is he going to use? Lagos, word. Why would he do that? Well, notice when you go back to Genesis 1, on the next slide, yeah, there you go. And God said, is used over and over and over again to talk about creation. God what? God said. What's Jesus called? Jesus is called the Word. See how beautiful that is? 
Like, for example, what David read a few minutes ago before he uh, led prayer, Psalm 33 and 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. Or Psalm 148 and 5, let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created. Hebrews 11 and 3, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. But then also, when you think about word, from the passage that I've just mentioned out of the Old Covenant, that would quickly relate if you had a background in Judaism. You'd say, well, I know the creation story. I know that it was through the word of God that all this was made. And so now I see Jesus being called the word right before two verses down, it said that he is the creator. Well, what about if you don't have that background? What about if you came from a first century, you came from a Greek background? Well, your approach to religion would have a lot to do with mythology and with philosophy. Both of those demanded learning. Words were essential to learning about philosophies, about gods, about how that impacted lives. And so even from that standpoint, this should appeal to someone to say, wait a minute, you mean if I'm going to learn about this God, he expects just that? He expects me to learn. And that's what we see all throughout the New Covenant, how important the mind is, because we have to learn. Learn what? The Word. It's been revealed. And so we'll close with this. Look at John 1 and 14. It just down in that same uh, passage there. And, and notice where we have Jesus called the Word again. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then in some translations, this is a parenthetical phrase. This is where John kind of interrupts himself as if to say, I'm so excited about what I saw living with Jesus Christ on this earth that I've just got to tell you what I've experienced. And this is where he burst out in a, in a, in a personal testimony. And he said, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And then what's that? full of grace and truth. That's God. Full of grace and truth. But notice that last part, truth. He's what? The Word dwelt with us. Well, who is the Word? Truth. Never before had mankind been able to visually see and experience life with one who is full, overflowing of grace and truth because never before had mankind had the presence for God to dwell among them in the form of flesh. Next week, we'll try to come back and we'll even go back to the beginning and talk about this same, more about in the beginning uh, and, and how God... Christ was already there and, and all of that. And so I hope dividing this lesson up isn't a mistake uh, I, I, because I hope what we all walk away 
with is a greater appreciation for Jesus. Uh, when we think about the marvelous God that we love, that we devote our life to, what we must understand is Jesus Christ is God. The Father is God. The Spirit is God. And so when Jesus calls us to be his disciples, it's not some superhuman that walked this earth and we're human and he was just a little bit better human than us and he's asking us to follow him. It's not some kind of, of well, he was some magician. Look at the magic that he could do in walking on water or healing a sick person. He's God. Jesus is worthy of us following him because he's God, our creator. We wouldn't be alive today if Jesus had not created us. I hope we hunger and thirst after a, a strong, loving, submissive, obedient relationship with Jesus. Tonight, if we can help you in any way in your walk with and toward God, we would be honored to help. If you're ready to be immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins, if you're ready to be restored, if, if, if you're ready to say, I just want to sit down and study and I want to learn more, we would love to meet you wherever you are and help you in any way that we can walk step in step with Jesus.